Hey, podcast world. My name is Lindsay Gleason. Welcome to Team Gleese Radio. I'm the founder of Team Gleese, an international sports recruitment company that connects former NCAA, NAIA, and club athletes with colleges in the UK and Ireland, where they can extend their athletic careers, earn a master's degree, and explore Europe all at the same time. On Team Gleese Radio, I'll be interviewing TG alumni who have already completed their master's, TG athletes who are currently studying and competing overseas, recruiters from our partner universities abroad, and whoever else you guys tell me you want to hear from. We'll cover everything from what it's like to study and compete in the UK, to what lessons our students learn while living abroad, to how this international experience has benefited their lives both personally and professionally, to what advice they have for anyone out there considering Team Gleese for themselves. So if you're currently sitting in America and tick any of these boxes, your collegiate career just ended, you're not ready to give up your sport, you always wanted to study abroad but never got to, you're interested in playing overseas but don't know where to begin, you graduated a few years ago and now you're ready to go back to school, I know, long list, three more, you're not happy in your current job and you want to make a career change, you already planned on getting a master's, or you just plain old want adventure. This podcast is for you. All right, I hope you enjoy this episode of Team Gleese Radio. Let the TG stories begin. This is episode two of Team Gleese Radio with University of Nottingham women's soccer TGer Mariah Cameron. Before we get started, I want to take a moment to talk about an event Team Gleese is hosting in Buffalo, New York this April for student-athletes interested in going abroad. Uh, We are holding our very first international sports grad school fair, and it's taking place Sunday, April 29th, 2018, from 1 to 4 p.m. at the Saturn Club in Buffalo. I'm so pumped about this fair because, well, and honestly extremely honored because 10 of our partner universities from the UK and Ireland, yes, Ireland, big announcement coming soon, are literally flying staff members across the pond to Buffalo, New York to connect in person with any Americans interested in studying and competing abroad. We're super lucky in Buffalo. Uh, It's the only city in America where you guys will be able to literally shake hands with staff from Europe who want to recruit you. And we're holding this because we know the entire concept of getting a master's in the UK or Ireland while playing college sports is super new and super foreign, pun intended. And you can listen to me, the founder, Tim Gleese, or interviews with our alumni every day, but getting to see the people who want to recruit you and hear their accents, ask them questions, it really doesn't get any more legit than this. So that's why we're inviting them to America. We want to remove your skepticism, doubts, concerns, all of those fears that you have about taking this leap and meeting recruiters from the campuses you're actually considering attending um, in our backyard is an opportunity that any of you considering the experience should take advantage of. If you're in Buffalo, even if you're eight hours away, it's a great opportunity that I encourage all of you to take advantage of. Uh, We hope you join us downtown Buffalo on April 29th from 1 to 4 p.m. 
at the gorgeous Saturn Club. It's an incredible building, which we picked as a venue because it looks and feels like a building right off a British campus. So we're doing our best to design a fair that portrays the British culture and to give you a tiny taste of what setting in the UK or Ireland would really feel like. You can find more information about the event at teamglease2018.eventbrite.com. That link's going to be in the show notes, so you can check it out later. And please register for the event if you're going to come. It's really going to be helpful for us in terms of preparing for the event. So gratitude to those of you who let us know in advance that you'll be coming and to everyone who attends. So we hope to see you in April. We'll have free snacks. There's free parking and free t-shirts for the first 100 student-athletes through the door. Can you tell we're doing everything we can to guarantee attendance? (laughs) Thanks, guys. Hope to see you in April. All right, I am all sorts of jacked up right now. Just got off the phone with women's soccer player Mariah Cameron, one of our very first TGers, who moved to the UK in 2014 and she's still living in Europe. She got her master's in counseling. Uh, Official title is much longer, but she'll mention that later on. And when she finished her degree, she wasn't even close to being ready to move back to the States. So this girl has worked her ass off to find a professional playing contract. She stayed persistent, patient through all the ups and downs, and it paid off because as of two months ago, she is now playing professionally in Switzerland. So congrats again, Mariah, on that. She's been to at least 17 countries, although she's taken way more trips because she revisits her favorite countries. And this is just an incredible young woman with the wisdom of a freaking 90-year-old. And she inspires me to continue to travel and explore abroad. So I hope you guys enjoy listening to this podcast as much as I enjoyed recording it. Please meet the one, the only... Mariah Cameron. Mariah. Hello. <laughs> Where? Tuning in from Lugano, Switzerland. Oh my God. I am. Guys, I already said this in my intro about Mariah, but she is one of my very first TGRs from 2014, <laughs> and you're still freaking overseas four years later. I know. I, it's, I don't know if it seems longer or not that long, but I can't believe to think that it was four years ago that I started the whole European journey. It goes so fast, right? And I am so, everyone else is kind of, all my listeners are going to be kind of getting caught up with me because we haven't been able to catch up before this call. So I am just so excited to hear about the last four years of yours, I've followed you, obviously, and started to live vicariously through you because you are just all <laughs> over the freaking planet. It's, it's amazing. Oh. And you're such like a wanderlust and you embody everything that we stand for. So I cannot wait to hear how you ended up in Switzerland. First of all, that's still a mystery to me. So I'm stoked to ask <laughs> about that. Um, and yeah. yeah, I'm just so excited to hear your story and and let other people hear it too. So why don't I start by with the first question, I want you to tell everyone where you played in the US, uh, what you played, and kind of what you thought your career was going to be 
before you even heard of the option to go overseas. So what were your plans before Team Glee? Okay, start with the easy stuff, yeah. Um, I played soccer at Washington State University, go Cougs. <laughs> um, and as far as like long-term plans, I'm not a big long-term planner, which is strange because I'm a very big planner short-term, like day-to-day and loves to be really organized. But um, graduation-wise, I was definitely one of those people that were being asked, oh, you know, what are you going to do? And I was really comfortable with being like, I have no idea. <laughs> um, but towards the end of my senior year after soccer had finished, I expressed to my coaches that I had an interest uh, in continuing to play, but I also had an interest in grad school. And at the end of my senior year, I ended up getting a uh, knee surgery. And so that kind of any and all um, negotiations my coaches had with their contacts overseas. And I was like, okay, well, that's not going to happen. So I guess I'll go to grad school instead. And I was actually on, oh, what is it called? Career Athletes, I think it used to be called. Um, but they changed the name. Uh, but it's like a social networking site for athletes. And I was asking all these people a bunch of questions about sports psychology and psychology and what they do. And people started asking me what I wanted to do. And I told them. And somebody actually pointed me in the direction of Team Gleese. Mm-hmm. Probably yeah, and I DJ. Like, DJ Washington, I'm assuming. So shout out to him. Yeah, career athlete <laughs> yeah. switch to athlete network. And we're still working with them. So that's. Uh, that's great that they were able to recommend Team Gleese yeah. to you. Yeah, I was so thankful because, like I said, I was I was really dangling between grad school and soccer and really not sure what I was going to do. And it was just this, like, lifesaver that gripped me from the <laughs> depths of indecision. And I was like, oh, it's perfect. I can do them both still. Um, and yeah, so... I don't know. It just really fell right into my lap as things seem to do when you don't plan. <laughs> yeah, so a lot of times people – when they first hear about this option are very skeptical about it, but it sounds like you are one of these very few who maybe was open from it right from the start or walk us through when you, when you first heard about it from athlete network, what was your initial reaction to it? Yeah. I I was just thinking that actually too, because I told you I was listening to DJ's podcast and this big, you know, fear of it being a scam. And I don't know Mm -hmm. if I was, so naive or I don't think so. Cause I'm usually pretty cautious of that kind of stuff. But I think it was just, like I said, that I was, you know, looking for an option and it fell right in my lap. The scam, maybe because it came from this social networking site that my university, you know, put me on and seemed pretty credible. That's um, why we go there. But I was just like, <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> I was just like, yes, like I'm all in right from the beginning. I was like, this is perfect. When can I go? Um, this sounds magical. Like I didn't really have that many expectations. I was just so happy to kind of have a plan for my, you know, almost immediate future. Mm -hmm. Um, so I remember going on the site and I couldn't believe it was free. (laughs) I was like, wow, this is amazing. Like there's no turning back now. Like I'm, if I wasn't already in, I'm doing this. And it was pretty like, it was early. So there wasn't, like too much like I've checked it out since now or since then um and it's I can't believe how much it's oh, grown oh my god yeah and how many universities are on there and just the wild growth that you've experienced from it is is awesome yeah. but and you um, I'm so grateful for 
people <clears throat> like you who came across and like Kim, right? Your friend. I'm so happy you guys mm-hmm. came across because I'm glad you've looked at the website. So you'll probably see a million times more resources. And you, poor thing, yeah. did not get a message right away from me. <laughs> but you were just so yeah. like, gung-ho and brave and took initiative because now when a, <laughs> when a student signs up, they hear from me like within a week. And we go right into yeah. what are the next steps? Where should you go? You know, right. and, and the website was like bare bones before. And I'm happy to hear that you feel like there's been growth on it because – that's the point, right? Like as yeah. over the years, I've learned so much too about how to provide better services and resources for everybody. So uh, thank you to you for of course. still going through with all of this when I look back and yeah. I feel like, God, there was nothing on this site before. <laughs> See, that's so funny because even then I was like, wow, this is all so smooth. Like oh, this is real. Nice I'm so excited. And I feel like I, yeah, I keep somehow getting in that position where I'm like one of the first people on the ground and I'm the guinea pig that they're like we'll just work all the bumps yes. out and then after you yeah like all the other you. people get everything really easily <laughs> but it's okay there's I feel like there might be some slight honor in that or I'll just I'll spin it in some positive yeah, way but I yeah I just think of you saying you know it was so bare and I think about when I first signed on and University of Nottingham is where I ended up going and they were you know the few options on there and not being overwhelmed with universities made the decision easier. I mean, I, I looked up the university and I was like really impressed with their academic standing. And I knew a little bit about Nottingham. I had had a friend whose grandparents had been there before. Um, and it was, it was kind of the same thing with the website where he contacted me and I was just like, yep, all in, we're doing it. You're looking <laughs> back now, we've got a university. Yep. <laughs> Sounds good. Like they have a soccer team. You know, I, I tried to look as much up online as I could about their soccer program and what it would be like. But I also was thinking, you know, in undergrad, I made my decision based on athletics of where I was going to go. So I thought maybe grad school, maybe I should make it based on academics yeah, and then just, um, you know, play whatever soccer's there. But it really all worked out, you know, for the best from, from my standpoint. Yeah. And tell everyone what you studied and what your academic experience was like. <clears throat> Yes. Um, the long fancy name of my two year <laughs> degree, long. the, the only two year degree in all of England. Yeah, we'll yes. mention that too. Um, I'll clarify that. Yeah. Um, so it's person centered experiential counseling and psychotherapy practice, Woo! which is a long, yeah, long <laughs> fancy name uh, for counseling. Just a certain, it's just a certain approach to like mental health therapy. I want to interject real quick and just say, when, you know, all over the website, it's portrayed one-year masters, um, shorter masters, your course, and anything counseling mm-hmm. is the only master's course that is actually two years. And so that's specific to your field. So when someone, just guys out there who sign up and they're interested in studying what Mariah did, you're going to be the exception. It's going to be two years. However, I'm going to assume Mariah's going to say, consider yourself lucky because no one wants to leave after one year. Yeah. I didn't want to leave after two and a half. Well, so, you're still there. Uh, so you know, <laughs> as you see, yeah, yeah. Had to claw my way back, but we got here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that, yeah, my, my, my golden ticket was my two year masters that I got to spend even more time there and, 
And still, it takes so much time to get to know a city or a country, you know, even having lived there as long as I did, there's so many places I still want to go back mm -hmm. to in England that I either didn't get a chance to see or want to see again. So no time will ever be enough. <laughs> and what would you say were the biggest differences between the education system in the U.S. versus the U.K.? Yeah. You know, I got this question a lot, actually, and I feel like my course in addition to being an exception in regard to length of study, it was also a bit of an exception into how it was run. And I think because it was an experiential counseling course, our academics were different, I think, than the rest of the university or the rest of the people I lived with or talked to about their master's programs. Um, because we, I mean, most days, it's going to sound very simple, but we just went in class, sat in a circle, and talked about our feelings. <laughs> And like we did a lot, I mean, it, it was obviously a lot more nuanced than that and, and guided by both us as students and our professors, but it was a really special learning experience that I didn't even know was out there in the United States or anywhere else in the world. Um, so I think it was a really cool amalgamation of these two different growing experiences of being abroad and living in this new place and then this new type of education where I was given so much autonomy as a student to make choices in regard to what we talked about that day what we studied you know where we as a class wanted to take our class that day and so it was I don't know it was like an overwhelming just period of excellent growth and I and I hear I heard a lot of people talk about England and their education just from talking with the friends that I've made that it's a lot more, I guess, expedited in a lot of ways in the United States because we have all these general education, you know, classes we have to take. Whereas England, if you know what you want to do, they put you right on that track from the beginning. So instead of taking, you know, half a life to become a veterinarian or a pharmacist, you can do it in, you know, next to no time at all, which I think in a lot of ways is really cool. It is, right? And it's the beautiful thing about their education system because if you know what you want to study, you are going and you are just studying those types of courses. You're not, yeah. like you said, the general electives that in the U.S. with our undergrad, you know, four years versus undergrad of three years in the U.K., I mm -hmm. think about some of the courses I took in America and I paid for Pilates, you know, to, yeah. to take in school yeah. or and it's like, this is not, this was fun, but this is not necessary. And so it is just this wonderful, enriching experience where you are diving into your niche course and subject. And really, like you were just mentioning, you sort of got to design your course um, and with your other classmates yeah. and really have a lot of freedom over what you wanted to work on. And it's not necessarily as you know, textbook and theory as our system right. in the U.S., which is really nice. Yeah, especially my course, and I know a few others that I talk with, we didn't really have homework um, on my course. Like, you were responsible for completing the readings on your own. If you did them, you can come to class and talk about them. If you didn't, you know, you might be a little bit lost. But the only assignments we had were you know, end of term papers. Like my class didn't even have exams. It was all papers, which I thought was crazy fortunate. Mm -hmm. um, but I just thought that was so bizarre, but awesome that we were placed with that responsibility of how we wanted to treat or, you know, care about our degree. 
um, you know, we could work as not so bad, but we could work as hard or as, you know, not hard on it Mm -hmm. as we wanted to. And I think there's something about that freedom for me, at least that I was like, well, I'm going to work really hard because, you know, I'm I'm given the option to, and that, you know, by not having all these overwhelming assignments, I was able to focus more freely on what it was we were learning and explore it kind of an open space with no pressure to meet deadlines or anything. But it was kind of like I talked about my class just coming in and flowing through a conversation wherever it took us. And, and when we arised um, questions, we could answer them on a, you know, need to ask basis type of thing, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Um, but it really was unlike anything I'd I'd ever experienced. And like I said, I think my course was a bit isolated in being run this way, but I think the underlying themes of the students kind of being more responsible for their own education, and like you said, being able to create their own experience is true for the whole, you know, uh, UK education experience. Absolutely. And because for courses outside of yours and your discipline, I know a lot of your guys' friends did business and they were able to design their final thesis or dissertation really on a topic right. they, that they wanted, right? So it was so mm-hmm. easy to stay motivated. And just to rewind back to the whole, um, the whole common assignments as being papers, it's kind of nice on the travel aspect, right? Because yes. you can take yes. whatever you can take that laptop. You can take your yeah, work. Exactly. Well, and I was so motivated that, you know, we had we had these long breaks over Christmas and Easter and summer. And I was like, well, if I finish my paper the first week, you know, I've got three weeks of free travel. <laughs> so it was kind of like, you know, lit a fire under me a bit, too, that I was like, all right, let's get these papers done and I can just take off and see the world. So, yeah, it definitely was a huge benefit having, you know, essay-based courses. Love it. Okay, let's, you know, you were so gung-ho again from the beginning, but I want to talk about whatever fears you had in moving. You know what, actually, Mm. first I want to say, I know you were all on board personally once you heard about this, but how did your support circle respond when you said, hey guys, I'm peacing out for two years to go to (laughs) What What did the family, what did the friends, what did everybody say? Yeah, well, this time with England, they had they had a bit of warning, which was nice, because when I got on the website and talked to Nottingham, you know, there was a chance for me to go that year, just in a couple months, but they wouldn't be able to offer me a scholarship. So I decided in talking with them to wait a full year, go the next year when I could receive a scholarship and, you know, settle down, which worked out great because I could work for a year, saved up all that money and then, you know, went to England without having to take out loans or anything. Um. So I told my family about it, you know, a year in advance. So they had a lot of time to come to terms with it. Mm-hmm. But in that year, um, as I think, you know, I recruited my best friend to come with me. <laughs> Kim. Hey, um, Kim. Kim. Yeah. Shout out to Kim. <laughs> best travel partner ever. Um, yeah. So I was I had this big, you know, thing looming. It was still probably like nine months out or so. And she was kind of in the same spot I was where she graduated, wasn't really entirely sure what she was going to do. And I was like, you know what you should do? (laughs) Come to England with me. And at first she was, yeah, at first she was like, no, like, this is your thing. Like, I don't want to copy you or like impinge on your adventure. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like built in support system coming with me. For sure. That's best case scenario. So 
I mean, I would say there are a lot of pros to you guys out there. If you have friends in similar situations, bring a friend along that you like, because <laughs> that was honestly one of the coolest things for us as friends and, you know, in our families, knowing that we had each other there was, I think, a huge relief for them as well that, you know, even if we're lonely or away from home, we had each other. Um, and, you know, our, our group turned into a group even bigger than that, where we had this wonderful support circle abroad um, as well. But I would say my my parents were really gung-ho. My dad especially, you know, like my biggest sports fan ever, was just so thrilled that my career in soccer would keep going. And I think my my mom, too, and that both my parents started working when they were very young. They didn't go to college um, so, you know, like 18 years old out in the workforce and still doing it now. So they really had the standpoint and my grandmother too, all, all three of them that I should keep playing soccer as long as I can, possibly can, you know, until my body just can't do it anymore. So I think I was really fortunate in that respect to have, you know, a support system with that paradigm that was like, Oh yes. Like if you can do it, go. And I, and I know they miss me too, but they never, they never let it on. I think. Yeah, and it's so easy to keep in touch, though, right? Like, mm. even now, yeah. you mm. and I, you're in Switzerland. I'm in Buffalo, New York. Right. And it's a piece of cake for us to stay in contact. Now we have FaceTime, Skype. I think I talked to my mom more when I was overseas oh my than gosh, when yeah, I did at home. And yeah. I love my mom, and I see her all the time. But when I was overseas, it was kind of like, oh, I see the Green Arrow mom's here. I'm going to say hi to her. So it really doesn't feel like you're three to 6,000 miles away. Miles away. No, not at all. And I remember actually we had a going away party and one of our family friends had bought me and Kim phone cards, you know, so we could call our family from back home. And then we got over there because I didn't really know much about international communication. I had never heard of WhatsApp or any of these things before I went. Um, and I was just blown away by the fact that I would never have to use this like old schooly phone card to call anybody from back home because there was this plethora of options, yeah. whether it be, you know, WhatsApp, there, I think Tango was an app I used in the beginning, Facebook, Messenger, and like video chat. And God bless my parents and grandmother for like becoming tech savvy all of a sudden. <laughs> but, you know, once they, once they got it, yeah, like you said, it was effortless and and almost like talking to them more because they wanted to know, you know, oh, how'd your game go? What's the latest with practice? How's school? Oh, I saw you went on this trip, you know, and and they they become so invested back home in everything that you're doing. Um, yeah, I mean, you never run out of things to talk about, really. Yeah, and it's only the communication in tech is only going to get better and become easier, right. I think. So even now, it's just so easy to communicate with people. Um, I want to stay on this topic about the support system. You are very fortunate. I'd say probably 60% of the athletes I talk to do not have the support that you did from your mm. family. So for students who are considering Team Gleese now who, you know, get on the phone with me and they're psyched and I could hear it in their voice that this is for them and they really want to take this leap. But then mm -hmm. we might not talk for two weeks and now they're just talking to the people that they see every day um, who don't really understand this concept, maybe have never traveled, so they don't mm. understand why their daughter or son wants to do this. So what advice do you have for potential TGers that aren't in the space that you were in? 
Yeah. Well, just hearing you talk about that breaks my heart a little bit. I know. To have, you know, people with this opportunity that are so gung-ho about it and to have people tell them no. And I'd like to believe that I'm stubborn or determined enough that even if my parents said no, I would have been like, well, bye. Like, mm-hmm. see you, you know, see you at that summer. Was, that Christmas was me. Or whatever. <laughs> yeah. But, um... I would honestly say just really weigh your options and maybe try to get at what's what's holding your parents back. Like you said, maybe they're not well-traveled or they're worried about, you know, is it a scam or or what it is that scares them about their child leaving, um, you know, being far away or, or what have you. But I think keep in mind, TGers, that those aren't your emotions or your fears necessarily. Like maybe don't let your parents or support system, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Transfer their own fears mm. into you. Cause I think with me, like I was so gung ho cause it was a really gut feeling that this was it. This was for me, this was perfect. And if you're feeling that and someone tells you it's not, you know, I don't really think they have the right to, or the, you know, knowledge or platform to stand on. Like, you know, they don't know what's best for you. So I would say stick to it if you can, basically. I mean, and there, there was even people that went over there and came right back, like, if, you know, with some weird situation. So even if you go and try and everything, you know, goes up in flames, which I can assure you, you know, probably won't. It was great. Let me re- reiterate <laughs> that. But it's not a, you know, irreversible decision. And I think it would haunt anyone who didn't actually take that chance. Um, Cause I mean, looking back, I just can't imagine my life without this whole experience. So I would say shoot your shot. And if it's, you know, know that if it's not what you thought or, you know, worst case scenario, something terrible happens that it's, it's not irreversible. So yeah, nothing is permanent. You yeah, know, exactly. No decision is, is permanent. Okay. Let's mm-hmm. shift to the most different part of this experience compared to the U.S. Yes. Sports. Yeah. (laughs) So compare your sports experience in the U.K. to the U.S. Yes. Very different (laughs) is how I would start this off. Take as long as you want. I know. This is the element of the whole thing that you have to go into with the most open mindset. Like, Please realize that this is not a continuation of your, you know, college career in America. It is a different experience all its own. And I think the people who go in with these really grand expectations are the ones that are the most disappointed because it is – Depending on your university, it is not the most competitive. And obviously, there's a lot of different leagues that the college is playing. And if you're in the top league, it might still be very, very professional, very, very competitive, um, more more akin to what you're used to in the United States. But for me, coming into Nottingham, again, like me being the person you know, who gets in on the ground floor and you know does all the grunt work, and then it's much better years later. Um, yeah. <laughs> we came into a program, yeah, me and Kim and Kayla, the two others that year, that was just starting to grow. And they had this vision about where they wanted to be. And Phil, the recruiter, you know, had this vision of where he wanted the program to get to. And so I think we, once that sunk in, we were a lot more comfortable with it. But on the flip side, as much as I think, I don't know, we were trying to hold it to American standards, it was so cool 
getting to see sport from another culture's perspective and the different traditions and like cultural norms that they have surrounding football and, you know, playing games on a Wednesday night instead of a Friday and Sunday or, you know, the songs they sing or what they do to and from games and seeing this more social element of it instead of, you know, the soccer robot sometimes we can be in the United States with the way we act and, you know, our seriousness surrounding the sport. So, yeah, I would say just don't don't expect too much and you'll be pleasantly surprised. But I think, you know, as I say, expectation is the thief of joy. So if you if you go in with all these hopes and dreams about it being, you know, a super professional environment, I think you might have a little bit of a rude awakening. Mm-hmm. Um, but all in all, again, it's I feel I feel bad even talking talking this way about it because it was still such a wonderful experience that, you know, saying anything against it seems like a betrayal. But and I played two and a half seasons with that club at the university. And even in those, you know, that short window, it had grown so much towards, I think, what they wanted the club to become into, you know, a more serious club and hiring new coaches and just the way they ran things. So I think now what, you know, when I left the program compared to when I got it, it was this beautiful, you know, amalgamation of U.S. and European sport put together that still had the fun social elements, but with a bit more of a professional, you know, competitive mindset. Yeah. And it's only going to continue to improve. Right. And right. You are you're speaking your truth about your experience. Mm -hmm. And that's so important because what you're saying, one of the purposes of this podcast is to help manage expectations. And that's what you're doing because the sports element of this experience, it's really the bonus and almost the smallest part, right? Right. Yeah. It's what we use to get young Americans to go travel by bringing this piece of their comfort zone with them. And Mm. it's, if we can say, Hey guys, it's not going to be the NCAA, but you get to still put on a Jersey with other teammates and they're going to be from around the world. And it's going to, you know, sports are sports. If you are all working toward the same goal, no matter what level it is, it's, you're still going to have that rush and have that um, tribe experience. So I, I know what you mean when you say, I kind of feel bad talking about it this way, but this is exactly how I want you to be talking about it in so many sports and at so many universities, how the level's going up, how they're starting to hire full-time coaches, how they're mm-hmm. investing more sports scholarship money. And it's really exciting and beautiful to see really how quickly it's turning around yeah. and improving. And I... I hope that Bucks, so British universities and colleges sport, the equivalent to the NCAA over there, guys. I hope that it doesn't ever morph into the NCAA because it's so regulated and strict and there's a lot of beauty, but a lot of ugliness in the NCAA. Um, Mm -hmm. And the whole social club component to British college sport is really refreshing and I think it was, it might have been someone on your team. I don't know if it was Katie, but someone who said, I was burnt out and I fell in love with my sport again. Yeah, that was Katie. 
Okay. And I who just visited awesome. me in Switzerland, I by the know, way. I it was saw. a wonderful treat. I know. It was a great surprise. Um, but yeah, that was that was her. Yeah, she wrote this really long post actually to our coach, who she credited with you know, her the coach in the club with reigniting her love for soccer because it was just a totally different experience um playing over there than she had in college in the United States, which I think is awesome. It is. It is. Mm-hmm. Okay. Traveling. How many yes. countries did you Ooh, miss? I'm so excited. You are, you are like <laughs> the travel star. Oh my gosh. How we got I think by the end of it, I want to say 17. Oh, my God. That's insane. And, you know, yeah, you know, it's crazy. Like, in the beginning, we were all gung-ho to, like, you know, oh, I'm only going to a country I've never been to before. So, I can, you know, it's like you're collecting countries. But by the end of it, I was going back to places that I had already been because I loved them so much. Like, the same cities or, you know, different places, different countries, or just randomly going on, you know, the budget airline um, websites and just looking up, you know, closing our eyes and being like, what's the cheapest one? Oh, let's yeah, go Sky to Scanner. France this weekend. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just randomly picking these trips, but it was, oh, it's wild. It's just so wild. Like sometimes I'll just scroll through like my own Instagram with gratitude, like, oh my word, like look at all these wonderful things I've been able to do, you know, while getting my master's and playing soccer. I guess I still can't believe it sometimes all the memories and you know, stories we've managed to accumulate while supposedly like being in grad school. Right. Well, that's a great segue. Share one or two. We'll just kind (sighs) of let us, you know, go off on tangents. I know. Of your favorite travel stories. This is the hardest question. I know. Of all of the questions. (laughs) It's so hard. People ask me this or like even what's your favorite place to visit? I'm like, like the planet earth okay (laughs) um oh i know it's so hard okay one that pops in mind just a short story it's not even like that big a travel story but it was um kim came back to england my friend that went with me to visit me when i was in there my third year and we decided to go down to london to see a show or whatever and our Honestly, I feel like my whole, my whole memories are like running for trains and like missing buses and all this like, you know, wonderful things or terrible things that work out wonderfully. And there was like a train problem with the tracks, like snow on the tracks or something was wrong. And our train out of London got delayed probably four hours, but so did every train after ours. So by the time they got a train, it was like sardines, like they packed us on there as many people as you possibly could and British people are you know for the most part like proper I feel like a bit more reserved a bit more um just aware of like how they act in public whereas me and Kim like at you know three in the morning don't care about anything so we we didn't get a seat we were stood in the aisles with about a million other people and it's not a short train ride it's not super long you know hour and a half on the quick one hour 45 back to Nottingham But they have these seats that go back to back, um, one facing forward, one facing backwards. And in between them, there's these little nooks, like, of space between the seats. (laughs) I see where this is going. Yeah. I'm quite small, and Kim is even smaller than me. I think she's five foot – no, she's five foot flat, and I'm five, three and a half-ish. And so we each found one of these little, like – 
just nooks and we laid down underneath the seats of other people so we could sleep on our way back home. And I remember I was like wearing a skirt and my legs were out in the aisle and I had a scarf on that I took off and like, you know, draped over me. So like British people weren't staring at my skirt (laughs) and we just passed out on the train, like on the floor. And it was just one of the funniest things in my life. Like it wasn't even like a travel, you know, not that extravagant of a travel story, but Oh, we were just, you know, beside ourselves laughing and in that, you know, early morning delusional state you get into when you're really tired. And once you have time to reflect on what you just did, we were like, wow, shameless, shameless people when you travel. Yeah. And I find that all my favorite travel stories, too, are when something went wrong. Oh, like majorly wrong. And we need to just problem solve and just the best experiences are the completely unexpected ones. I think I know I was actually just thinking of the other two I had in mind and they were both also were go for it things. Yeah. Okay. I'll I'll try to summarize. There's just so many, like you said, but one, (laughs) I went with, um, it was me and Stacey and Hannah, two volleyballers from Nottingham who, and and from Buffalo, New York. Yeah. I was like Buffalo shout outs. Um, and we all had a break and I was like, Oh, Hey, you know, does anyone want to go somewhere? And they were like, yeah. And so we actually went on Ryanair, put Nottingham as our departure destination, set our price to like 50, you know, pound maximum ticket. And then just randomly picked Name France off a list when we knew nothing about it, like did a little research after and ended up taking this wonderful trip to the south of France where we just like planned day by day what we were going to do. Um, I didn't like wine before that trip. And, you know, they taught me how to drink wine and I love <laughs> wine. But one of the days we, you know, bought some baguettes and a couple bottles of wine, took a train to... Um, the Pont de Gard, which is this like really big old aqueduct bridge that goes over this beautiful river that people like swim in. And we just sat in the sun under this bridge, drinking our wine and eating our bread. But of course we forgot a wine opener <laughs> or like thought we had bought twist off. So yeah. Hannah's like going at this bottle with a stick, like <laughs> MacGyvering it, trying to get the <laughs> cork out. So we, you know, we have this like beautiful picturesque day plan and we are like, oh, crap like savages can't get to the wine yeah so <laughs> oh god we have so many pictures of her like with the utmost concentration macgyvering the heck out of this bottle because we're like we just, just want to drink our wine in france like come on <laughs> but yeah once we got it open one of the most beautiful days of my life i think when i think about like perfect serene moments like that's one in my mind that i froze in time that i'm just like oh such a relaxing moment that sounds so magical, and yeah. I just want to transport there right now. Me too. Like, my heart is so I'm full. sure they would agree. Uh, All right, yeah, my right? Last, do, I, do I have time for my last one, my, my, third, my third terrible, Sister, wonderful story? You've got time for as many stories as you want yeah, to share. Yeah, I'll let you, you know, <laughs> pick through them and use what you will. <laughs> okay. Um, my other favorite one was, actually, I was, so I was playing for a soccer club outside of the university as well because, you know, Just can't get enough of this Mm -hmm. stuff. Um, But there was a weekend where all my roommates went to Greece and I couldn't go because we had a really important game. And so I decided with my classmate who I met, who was actually from Taiwan, um, that I was like, do you want to go to Greece with me? Because I didn't get to go and I'm really sad and I want to go to Greece. (laughs) And so we went by ourselves and we went to Corfu. um, You know, it was just an affordable island to get to. 
And it was so cute from the moment we got there. Like, the people we were renting a scooter from, uh, like, picked us up at the airport um, and, like, just really, like, casual. Like, we were friends, you know, picked us up. We rented our little scooter, drove it to the Airbnb we were staying at where that lady was amazing. Um, But we were – so we're driving around the island on this little scooter. My friend from Taiwan had driven a scooter in Taiwan, like a big city. She was used to it. I was not, so I was riding on the back, like, terrified. (laughs) But but they warned us, you know, like, don't go really fast. Like, there's a lot of turns. Um, You know, people come down here from Italy all the time and die in crashes. So, like, be careful. And we're like, yeah, yeah, okay, totally, got it, whatever. We're in Greece, you you know, YOLO, got this. Um, YOLO. (laughs) But, uh, so we were driving from one end of the island to the other to go to this fancy beach. And we took this turn that was actually covered in gravel because it's such, like, a, you know, rural area of the island and when we took the turn on the gravel we did lose control of the motor motor scooter and crashed it mm-hmm. um and i was on the back so like i flew off and i had scrapes on my foot and my knee and like my hand or whatever but my friend that was driving got caught under the bike and got oh, really messed up like really big scabs like covering her whole foot and like leg and shoulder anyways so we're like on the side <laughs> of the road beat up and like this old uh greek man stops to help us his name was otto i'll never forget he was like you guys wait here and he hops in his little car truck drives to like the nearest pharmacy or home and comes back with all this like first aid supplies <laughs> and we're like sitting on his like the bed of his truck and our bike on the side of the road while he like doctors us up and he's like he's like you women you'll be fine you strong make the babies like this is nothing <laughs> I, was like, I was like thanks Otto like we're gonna be okay and oh it was just God. so funny and it was like our second day in Greece and we had like five more days there you know mm-hmm. and so we're like well we're not gonna not go in the water like we came to Greece we're gonna go in the water so every day when we go to the beach you know we'd like have to pump ourselves up and then jump in the water and all of our cuts would like sting incredibly bad because the salt right but we were like we're in Greece like we've got to do this and so we would like swim for 20 minutes and get out and like until it stopped stinging you know we just lay in the sun and then pump ourselves up again and go back in the water (laughs) but it was the most ridiculous thing in my life and like everyone on the island told us like oh go in the water you know the salt water will help yeah you know it's it's medical too yeah yeah and like we'd go we were like friends with all the pharmacists on the island because we just kept going to the pharmacy like trying to buy the stuff but to this day, when I talk to my friend, like, I'll look at my foot, and I've still got a scar yes, from that crash. But yes, if you had a it scar. It is the most beautiful reminder of what still ended up being one of my favorite vacations ever, I which I think is just awesome. Story. Yeah. And it's the it was unexpected. Hilarious. You know, yeah, right? Something goes wrong. Yeah. 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 You, you never go abroad <laughs> and try to get injured, but uh, somehow it turned it. out okay. Yeah. Okay, oh. so I know you have a million more stories. and No, that's okay. We're not Those are the three off. most important ones. Yeah. Okay, good. And we're not getting off yet, girlfriend, because you have to explain how you got to Switzerland. Yes. How oh, my gosh. How did you get this contract? Did you find In... it yourself? What happened? It's so much, like, more difficult to explain that. I feel like it really started in Nottingham where I mm-hmm. – you know, wanted to keep playing. My coach there, I had signed with a professional club only to find out that I couldn't play professionally on a student visa. Devastating. Um, so I still trained with that club while I was in England, but I couldn't play in games. So my coach, 
was really determined to help find me something, you know, and it came to the point where I was like, you know, it seems like maybe it wasn't meant to be like, I, I think, you know, I'm okay with maybe putting soccer to bed. And she was like, no, absolutely not. <laughs> like this, you are good enough to do it. All you need is a chance and, you know, like things to fall in your favor. And I'm so thankful for that talk because I was really convincing myself that I could maybe be done with it. And she was like, no, that's 100% not going to happen. So shout out Tanya Oxby, University of Nottingham coach, for keeping my dreams alive. <laughs> um, but she tried to find me places over there. And there's a lot of stuff where, you know, it's like, oh, we just spent all our money for this year or um, you know, th whatever things don't work out for like a million other reasons. And so I went home and still stayed in contact with her and just networked my butt off. Like I probably emailed like 80 teams within like a few months of me being home. And, you know, she just kept telling me if you cast a wide enough net, you know, something will, will happen. And it, it was so up and down with teams saying like, Oh, you know, we're really interested in you. Love your video. Would you like to come out in July? And, you know, us get to plan it, and then all of a sudden it's like, we're really sorry, but we went with someone else. Mm. Or, you know, because it's really hard when you're at it by yourself. You know, you have no one to vouch for you. It's not like you have an agent. Um, you know, they don't know you at all. Uh, so that happened a couple times where it's like, oh, yeah, you know, let's let's bring you out here. Or I had a guy I met working at a soccer camp who was trying to get me to Brazil. And he called me saying he thought he had found me something a week after I tore my MCL. Mm. So I was like, oh, great. Well, you know, update. Can't go. I'm yeah. injured now. So plot twist. Basically, yeah, plot twist. So it was a lot of up and down. And then I ended up playing with a girl over the summer who had friends playing in Switzerland. And I was like, oh, like, can I have the guy's email? And she was like, you know, absolutely. She was doing the same thing, you know, trying to find a place to play, I think. And I didn't email him right away because I was still injured from my MCL. But as soon as I got healthy, I emailed him. And a couple months had gone by. And I was like, okay, you know, this is probably a, another dead end. And then he emailed me back saying, you know, the president of the club emailed me back saying, I'd love to talk to you, um, hash out some details. You know, when's a good time to talk on the phone? And even at that point, like I had been hooked so many times by teams that were like, oh, yeah, let's make this happen. And it didn't happen that I was in my brain like – there's no way this is going to happen. And then, you know, the day I told him I could talk came and went, nothing happened. And then December 28th, he called me like randomly out of the blue. And I missed the call because I didn't know who it was. And then I, I listened to the voicemail and I was with my mom. And I remember, you know, being like, holy expletive. He actually Mary, called me. Freaking yeah. Christmas. Yeah. I was like, what's happening? And so I called him back the next day. And he was like, I'm really interested in bringing you out. Our camp starts on January 8th, you know, just possible. I need you to file this paperwork because it's a really short turnaround. And so basically I told my parents that morning. Um, I told my boyfriend. Uh, <laughs> I was like, we got Aww. a week left together. I'm about to leave, I know. Quick, quick segue into dear Nate, my significant other, who I was with before I went to England, spent two and a half years abroad in England and he came and visited me like three times for Christmas and stuff. And then I went home and then I'd, I'm leaving him again. And I was like, you're such a support. So yeah, I, I feel like I can't talk about support systems without him as well, because he, as much as it pains him to like have me keep running off to Europe, you know, he too is so proud of me and like chasing the dream and all that stuff. So I want to shout out to Nate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey Nate. Um, I yeah. want to 
take this opportunity because it's perfect to ask advice on something too, because, you know, a lot of people coming out of college have partners, right? Boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever. Yes. And they think about Team Glee's. And then they say it to their partner and maybe they're supportive. Maybe they're not. What do you, what's your advice? I mean, you did this and you guys are still together and somehow, you know, that's not easy to do. You've managed this thousands and thousands of miles away. So what advice do you have for someone who maybe really wants to do team Glees, but then they talk to their significant other and then come away deciding I can't do it because I don't want to leave. Can't leave. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's definitely a hard decision. And I I actually, like I said, I, I made the decision to go to Nottingham a year before I actually went and met Nate right. Oh, I knew him, but you know, reconnected right after that. And it was this whole thing like, oh, you know, like we can't do this. I'm leaving for England. And then of course, you know, you go and fall in love as Mm -hmm. you do and like go on the trip anyways. But, um, I honestly think there's, there's not a secret formula, unfortunately, but I would say, honesty and patience is the biggest thing. And I think on, I credit him with more of it than I have. Cause you know, when you're the one leaving, it's a lot more exciting than when you're the one being left behind. Mm. But I think being able to talk to each other about however you're feeling, even if it's not the most glamorous stuff. Cause I remember the first couple months I was not in them, you know, you know, we're going out all the time. I'm having meeting all these new friends. It's all exciting. And, you know, may, you know, you don't want to sit home on the phone with your significant other necessarily all the time, you know, like you don't want to be left out of what's going on in your new place. So it's tough to be, you know, one foot in England, one foot in America. Um, but I would really just say, really try to understand each other's point of view, because he understood that, that, you know, it's a new place and it's exciting and he wants me to have all those memories. And, you know, I also needed to understand that you know, I obviously have to dedicate some time to him as well and his feelings and, you know, nurturing that. But yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's a really hard thing to advise people on. But I think, and, he, and even with Nate, every time I told him, you know, oh, this team might want me to come play. Of course he was sad. And I, I didn't want to tell him because I didn't want to make him sad. But I think having partners that support you in what you do is also very important. I think if you are the partner to let the person know that regardless of how sad you are, that you do support what they're doing, no matter, you know, how sad it makes you. And I think that that's honestly the only thing that got me through leaving Nate again (laughs) to come to Switzerland was as sad as we both were that, you know, he was like, you have to do it. Like you, I know you and I know you have to do it. And I was like, well, I'm I'm just so thankful. Like I honestly, I, I've had long distance relationships in the past, and none of them has obviously had worked out because I'm with Nate now. But I think if you have the right person and you have the right mindset, it is possible. It's it's not always easy, but it is entirely possible. Well, kudos to you guys because there's this yeah this risk that if you choose not to go because you're in a relationship, you could resent that person, right? Oh, I I told him that to his face flat out. I was like, I will never come home before I'm ready to because I would hate you for it. Like, even if even if you didn't ask me to, but you were the reason I did, I would it would torpedo our relationship more Mm -hmm. than me leaving ever possibly could. have. Yeah. So it's almost like going is the only way to save it. Also. Yeah. 
Well, and Nate has also been to about, you know, 11 countries now, thanks to me. You're welcome, Nate. (laughs) Like, yeah, you know, and we've got some great stories from ours, too, that we still laugh about, you know, just tiny story. We were leaving Venice like two days before Christmas and there was traffic and we got to the airport and it was, I can't even explain the scene we were in. Like the most people I've ever seen in like a tiny, tiny airport, not a big like international airport. And we, our flight had our, was already supposed to leave. It ended up leaving an hour and a half late because everyone that was supposed to be on it was stuck, like, pre-boarding. And we were stood at the back of the line, and bless his heart, he's a bit of an anxious traveler. You know, me being abroad, I'm a bit more seasoned in it. And I was like, everything's going to be fine. Like, I'm sure someone will come get us or ask if we're here and, like, move us to the front of the line. And just, you know, time keeps going on. We're freaking out. We're freaking out. And he's like, right, we're not going home for Christmas. And I was like, he's like, we're not going to make it back to Nottingham. And I was like, it's going to be fine. And, like, right when we reached the brink of our patients, some sweet lady, like, out of nowhere is just running through the airport shouting, like, East Midlands, East Midlands. <laughs> and, like, we're like, yes, that's us. So now, like, honestly, anytime we're still in a crowded place, one of us will look at each other and be like, East Midlands. And, like, we just still laugh about it. And we, like, made it home and everything was fine. But it's, again, like... Yeah, we we have so many stories from abroad. It's it's one of the special parts about our relationship now. So I would say, you know, if if you can do it and it works out, it will only make your relationship about 100 times better, Mm, stronger. Yeah, that's awesome. Definitely. Definitely. But um, okay, let's hit the play button back on. uh, Yes, Switzerland. No, January 8th, 2018. Yes. So I, yeah. So I, I got the notice that I was going to Switzerland a week before I went to Switzerland. <laughs> so it was like, okay, friends and family, here yep. we go again. Buckle up. Like, yeah, I'm off. Um, and yeah, so I left, I came, I was coming for like a two week tryout with the team because this is the second half of their season. So their season runs August to June. And so they broke for Christmas and at that mid season break, there's a window to bring in new players And so I came over for a two-week trial and, you know, got told I had made the team. And here I am over here now playing and living in Switzerland. Yeah. How is it compared to the UK and the US? Yes, it's different and wonderful and harder in so many ways because this is the first time really that – you know, soccer is all I have or like a proper job that, yeah, that it's, you know, what I'm here to do. So, you know, in England, I was going to school, you know, I had other people I knew, I had other things going on, I volunteered, I was on placement, like I had a million things to do. And here I, you know, I'm just here to play soccer. So I've settled in a lot more now. But when I first got here, I was like, wait, what do I do like during the days and stuff besides <laughs> practice more soccer, you know, like we'd go out with our ball and, and do stuff. But it presents a lot of challenges because the language difference. Mm. So I'm in the very South of Switzerland, the Ticino region, which is basically Italy. So like I'm right on top of the Italian border. So everybody here speaks Italian. Um, it's very like a Mediterranean mix of, you know, Swiss mountains and Italian food. So we actually, yeah, right. It's like not bad, (laughs) but we don't speak Italian. So part of my deal and actually coming over here is that the club pays for Italian classes for us. How cool is that? Yeah, it was really cool because Nate is half Italian and his mom speaks Italian. And so I was like, oh, we can practice our Italian now. And she was so excited for me. Yeah. But the challenge when I, you know, first got here and still because of my Italian is rubbish (laughs) Um, 
was going out and interacting with people. Um, cause in England, you know, they speak English. You can go to the movies, you can go to the store, you can talk to people on the street. Whereas here it's a lot more difficult because they all speak Italian. So I, I found that is a new challenge for me. And I think once I came to terms with it and like identified what the challenge was or, you know, why I was feeling how I was feeling, I was like, oh, because I, you know, can't interact with the people around me as easily as I could in England. So constantly struggling with my Italian, but it's again, you know, that same situation that you get in so often when you're traveling, like pushing yourself outside your comfort zone and, you know, speaking broken Italian. And even though I'm aware of my grammar is horrible, you know, trying anyways, because you want to interact with, with what's going on around you. Yeah. And probably finding other ways to uh, improve your communication, right? Whether it's body yeah. language, charades, or, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, all that stuff. It is, and it's always an adventure. It, even going to the grocery store because everything on the labels is, you know, in Italian or German mm-hmm. for the most part. And you know, I made some some purchase mistakes early <laughs> on, like when I thought I was buying something, I was like, "Well, I'm, I didn't." <laughs> um, but it's all it's memories, you know, and it's it's that struggle in the beginning of figuring it all out. I think that are some of the most cherished memories you have of moving to a new place. Absolutely. What countries are your teammates from? Um, we've got some other Americans, so Canadian, and then the rest are all Swiss or Italian. Awesome. Yeah, awesome. so it's a pretty, yeah, it's a good mix. Okay. What, all right, last couple questions. We're, we're oh, in the home stretch. But I, I don't know. It went by so fast. I know. <laughs> we have so many stories know, to talk about. But what I'm, you know what? I'm not at the last two questions yet. I have three more questions. Um, what? Right. So you say the season is till June. And I'm almost afraid to ask this question because even I personally, come June for myself this year, I don't know what's next, which I'm super excited oh, yeah. about. But do you, what's next? In June, do you know yet? Do you want to keep playing? Yeah, I think I do, and I don't know. Yeah, I, like I said, you know, I don't, I don't plan too far in advance. But we've talked with the president about, um, you know, how our contracts work. If they're renewed, if we can come back in the fall, or what the deal is. And I know there's some people that are looking at other places only because you know they've been here a while, or they want to try something new, or you know, even on our measly, you know, professional women's soccer budget Switzerland is very expensive still because it's Switzerland so you know people look at other things but I think for me like right now this is where I'm at it's where I'm happy and I think you know like with England two and a half years will never be enough Mm -hmm. so I doubt you know six six months in Switzerland will be enough for me um so I could see myself easily coming back after the summer vacation or summer break and play um but, you know, who knows? As we do, we stumble yeah. through life and these opportunities just fall in our laps. So. 80 Central, right? It's about the way to Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So who knows, really? Okay, now the last two questions. Okay. <sighs> okay. What are your three biggest takeaways from – I? you know what? Originally, the wording of this question is three biggest takeaways from spending one year overseas. We're going to oh, have to yes. reword this for you, Miss Mariah. What yeah. are your three biggest takeaways from spending four years overseas? And then who knows how many oh, more? I know, right? Yeah. Will I ever have a home? No. <laughs> um, there's so many. This is really, I feel a lot of pressure to answer this question because 
my experience abroad has been so meaningful to me. I feel like trying to explain it to people never does it justice. Um, but the biggest one I think I tell people is, is being abroad and being a minority in some sense and understanding that your culture and your beliefs are not any more valid or important than anyone else's. And I think being in a place where maybe my way of thinking is not the norm, you come to appreciate the fact that, you know, just because something is your way of doing it doesn't necessarily make it the right way or make it the most important way or the, you know, best way. Um, And I think that shift in how you look at things and how you understand things I think just enriches you as a person or your understanding of the world. I just, having, having been there and lived like that as the odd one out for a while, I feel like I empathize so much more with other people maybe that have been odd ones out or, or trying new things. I mean, everywhere I went, I would always make sure to try like whatever the like famous dish is there, whatever the cuisine was, whether or not it was something that, you know, like my parents might find disgusting or like my friends might find repulsive. Like I've, I've eaten horse, whale, puffin, rabbit, reindeer, like all these foods that I, you know, maybe never would think to eat or people might be like, Oh, that's terrible. And I'm like, well, it's not terrible. Like for these people, it's entirely normal. Like this is their way of living. Like, could you imagine someone saying like, you know, hamburgers are disgusting and you should never ever eat them like no because that's what we're used to as americans you know mm-hmm. um so it's just really being able to or, or having been abroad and now being able to open your gaze on things i guess and just understand that there is no hierarchy of culture you know american culture is not the best it's not the most important um but there's a million different places out there that do things in a million different ways. And I think being able to view each of those with as much respect as you view your own culture, um, it's just a really refreshing take on things. You handled pressure well, because that was a phenomenal answer. Did I do it? You okay, did good. It. You crushed Super it. Super glad. That was amazing. That's it. I feel like if I dance around the theme long enough, it starts to it sink starts in, to make you know, sense, so yeah. if I just, yeah, beat the dead horse. No, that was a, You'll get it. Full answer. Um, Thank you. I tried. You you did well. Do I need two more? You. I mean, if you got it, if you've got one or two more that you want to touch on, I feel like there's one other one. I don't know if it's like a a takeaway or just to like. I think that was the big one. That's the main one. If I can, if I can say one, that's the one. But the other one was this real shift in me, like with a sense of gratitude, and I think you touch on it a bit when you're talking about like you go abroad and you talk to your mom more. I remember moving away and just becoming so much more appreciative of my family back home and really wanting them to know how much I miss them and I care about them and all that stuff. And the same went for the things I had back home. Like you're, you're abroad and you're living this new and exciting life. And I was so grateful for that, you know, you walk by a building and you're like, oh my God, this is the most beautiful thing in the world. And all the British people are like, it's a store. Like, what's wrong with you? They're like, (laughs) why would you come from California? Yeah, yeah, right. Why would you come to California, England? And I'm like, well, this is new for me. Like England's old for you because it's what you're used to. But for me, like every day is exciting. But as grateful as I was for having like those experiences, I became really grateful for what I had back home. And I remember distinctly being in the Dolomites, like this mountain range in Northern Italy, with Nate and 
thinking like how beautiful, how amazing, how grand, like awe-inspiring these mountains were. And then also thinking about like the cabin that his cabin that we go to in Tahoe and thinking about people who maybe like didn't grow up in Tahoe and go see the Sierra Nevada mountains and think like, wow, this is awe-inspiring, you know, like how I felt about the Dolomites. And so I was out here abroad gaining, you know, all these amazing experiences that I was eternally grateful for. But there was a point where I also became aware of how wonderful, like, the things that had become ordinary to me were as well. So it was just, I don't know, it was really, really cool to to have that kind of moment, aha moment of, you know, the things that maybe become ordinary, you get a refresh view on them because they become new again when you move abroad. Yeah, and that's... Or come back to them. Yeah, and it's so interesting, right? Because you can only gain that level of appreciation for your backyard if you leave it. Yeah, exactly. Which you is so get powerful. Out. Yeah. Okay, crushed it again, my friend. Now <laughs> we will, we find ourselves at the final question. <sighs> More pressure. <laughs> what, what advice do you have for anyone considering Team Glees for themselves? Oh, geez. Obviously the first one, do it. <laughs> uh, just do it. Um, jump on it. But I will say that if you do make the choice to enter this adventure, you have to do it with an open mind, kind of like with the questions we just talked about or, or when we talk about the sports. Um, if you dismiss all expectation and just go in and completely buy into the experience, you know, make local friends, get out in the community, try out the new cultures, you will have the time of your life. I think it's inevitable. Like there's no way to mess it up if you buy into it and really make the most of your situation. But you have to, like I said, go in with an open mind, dismiss all your expectations, and really just have the experience be what it is on its own. You know, don't compare it to what you did in the United States with school. Don't compare it what you did in the United States to sport. Let it be its own adventure in a way. And I don't think you can mess it up. I, I again, just feel like the utmost pressure to somehow communicate to everyone how life-altering this experience is, you know, if you do it right, if you're willing to set aside your own, you know, beliefs or, you know, prejudices or whatever you have about how things should be and open yourself up to a completely new world of experiences and ways of doing things. I think you can't, you can't mess it up. I don't know. If, if you do it, it sounds silly, but I think if you do it right, you can't mess it up. <laughs> well, you have definitely achieved uh, the points that you're trying to make in 60 okay, minutes. I'm I glad. promise you that. And I want to, I just want to close by thanking you for inspiring me. I set out, you know enough of my story and why I started Team Glees, but I set out with the goal of inspiring other student athletes to go abroad. And I, I guess I never predicted that you guys would be inspiring me equally if not more mm-hmm. because it's just I I could have never imagined someone going through the program and staying for four years and I see you know you guys traveling to all these countries that I've never been to even and I'm so inspired by you really so mm-hmm. thank you thank you thank you for taking the leap four years ago and for making the most of it and you're just amazing. And I'm so grateful that you came across the program. I truly am. 
Oh, I would say everybody on our side of it would be showering you with equal, if not more, thanks, you know, because now you have players staying on, you know, they do their masters and stay on for PhDs because they don't want to go home because you've given them, yeah, this beautiful gift. So it is a definite two-way street when it comes to appreciation and gratitude and, you know, the fact that you'd offered us this experience, you know, how could we ever repay you? So. Truly, thank you. And thank you for giving me the excuse to talk about it for an hour. It's the best, right? <laughs> oh, um, yeah. Guys, that's it. Mariah, you've shared so much and more uh, than what I expected you to today. And everybody, I hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast as much as I enjoyed uh, asking the questions. So, Mariah, thank you, thank you, thank you for uh, being willing to hop on and for sharing your stories and lessons and experiences with all of us. Of course. Thanks so much for having me. I really hope you guys enjoyed that episode. Um, I think for now with the podcast, I'll be releasing one episode each week. And it'll most likely be an interview, which essentially becomes a super laid back conversation with one of our alum. And I might start to sprinkle some conversations with current TGers in here as well for you guys so we'll probably increase the number of episodes each week because i think they're super helpful for listeners and i truly enjoy reconnecting with my peeps so uh, for now while i'm getting the hang of this and balancing a couple other projects expect me to push something every either monday or tuesday okie doke talk to you next week